And uh, so we'll read once again, just for the sake of context, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 uh, through the end of the chapter. And then this morning we'll be looking at the fruits of kindness and goodness, kindness and goodness. So let's give attention to the reading of God's word, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Hear now the word of God. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would open wide the eyes of our faith, uh, that we may see the truth, that we may behold the Lord Jesus Christ in the words of Scripture. We also pray, O Lord, that you would open wide the mouths of faith, that we may feed upon Christ, the manna from heaven, and that in so doing, you would uh, quench our thirst, and in so doing, you would uh, satisfy our hunger that we would seek first your kingdom above all other things, knowing that you will provide for every one of our needs. We pray and ask for all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ever since the fall and ever since human beings brought sin and death into the world, perhaps we can say that kindness and goodness have seemingly been eclipsed in the world. We certainly can observe all sorts and types of cruelty, all types of violence and sin and evil. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, I think as much as the appearance of evil seems to have taken over, that these virtues of kindness and goodness have utterly disappeared. Sometimes one of the things that amazes me, and this is something that I've seen both in person as well as in the news, as well as uh, on social media, is say, for example, on the heels of a car accident, how complete and total strangers will go and run and risk life and limb in order to save those who have been tangled up in one of these vicious car accidents. But at the same time, it's not easy for us to dismiss the inhumanity and the cruelty of people that we can very quickly and easily see in the world around us. One of the things where I regularly see it is when I'm looking at various news stories online or on social media, somebody makes a claim or there's some sort of news story and all you have to do is scroll down to the comment section where you see all kinds of vile language, all kinds of terrible things that people say about one another. 
in one particular comment thread that I recently read, and it was by a top commentator, whatever that means. Never heard of you. I doubt anyone ever will. You're not funny. You're worthless and stupid. Stop wasting precious air and hold your breath forever. Uh, Seems quite cruel, to say the least. So these types of uh, expressions of unkindness and incivility seem to rule the day, whether it's in uh, internet comment threads, blogs, Twitter, you see it in cases of road rage, political ads, or sometimes, sadly, even within church life. I can still remember this day when somebody forwarded me a newsletter that somebody had written And uh, among the different articles in the newsletter was an article about me. (laughs) I was like, oh, this is interesting. And as I read it, the person said that I was either too stupid or too evil to recognize how evil I had become. And I thought, wow, uh, that's uh, that's just amazing, to say the least. And just for the record, amazing in a bad way. Uh, Amazing in a bad way. And so, yes, we can certainly find incivility out there and even a lack of kindness and goodness within the church, which should, of course, give us pause, which this immediately tells us that lest we fall into the the, the gulf, if you will, of this incivility and this cruelty, we desperately need the Spirit of Christ to empower us so that we can exhibit the fruit of the Spirit And in this case, exhibit kindness and goodness to those around us, especially to those within the church. And so what we want to do is we first want to give thought about the nature of goodness and kindness, what it is and where it comes from. And then secondly, we want to think about what we can do to cultivate a a mindset and a heart that is disposed to exhibiting kindness and goodness. So let's first give thought to seeing what kindness and goodness are, and in particular, their source. Now, as we've gone before, as we've looked at the various fruits of the Spirit in weeks past, it should come as no surprise to us that our triune God is the source and fount of all goodness, The psalmist, for example, is clear about this in Psalms chapter 31, verse 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. We can behold the works of God and recognize that he is undoubtedly the chief source of all that is good. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 7, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them, according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So in his love, he pours out profound goodness to the house of Israel. And we can certainly just briefly rehearse the great amounts of goodness that he has displayed to the house of Israel simply by looking at the scriptures and the history of God's interaction with his people. Calling uh, Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and giving to him the promised land. Giving to the promised, uh, you know, the promise to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
the, the blessings of the promised land and ultimately of the gospel of Christ. Redeeming Israel out of Egypt and bringing them safely to the promised land. And then, of course, his long-suffering with Israel uh, throughout their tumultuous and disobedient history with God. Where we see other examples of God's kindness, perhaps we can say that his goodness at the small level, (coughs) at the small level, is in his kindness and goodness that he manifested to Ruth. Remember Ruth, the Moabitess, the Gentile, the widow. When Ruth says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And what's fascinating here is that in the Old Testament, one of the words that we often find that translates, uh, uh, one of the words for kindness in the Old Testament is the same word that we find in Hebrew that means God's covenant faithfulness, his loving kindness. In other words, the, the mercies that he shows to those with whom he is in covenant. Now, of course, when we look at God as the source of all kindness and goodness, and then we look at human beings, we can tell that there is a significant gulf between the two. What does Paul say in Romans 3.12? All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Good, of course, being related to goodness. Not even one. The fact that Paul calls kindness and goodness fruits of the Spirit means that in terms of our redemption, we do not possess kindness and goodness on our own. This is something that has to be given to us by the Spirit of God. And so in particular, it should be no surprise that God's kindness towards us is a complete and total contrast to human sinfulness. And we receive this antithesis of our own lack of kindness and goodness in the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and following, by grace you have been saved, so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. If you want to know what God's kindness is, look to Jesus Christ. Look to the gift that he is to those who are undeserving, which is all of us. All of us are undeserving. And God shows us his kindness in Christ by giving us the gift of our salvation, by giving us the gift of faith in Christ, and by forgiving us of our sins and bringing us into the household of God. I think that God's kindness towards us in Christ is ultimately the source and fountain of our own ability to manifest goodness and kindness, not simply to God, but also to those who are around us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, I am myself satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. 
So notice, we have our God who is chiefly above all else, both good and kind. And that he has shown us his goodness and kindness chiefly in Jesus Christ. So that if you want to know what kindness and goodness look like, a living definition, then we can say that definition comes to us in Jesus in terms of the kindness and the goodness that he shows to fallen sinners like us who have no kindness and goodness of ourselves of which to speak as it concerns our salvation. And so then as God in Christ pours out his kindness and goodness towards us, that it's by this means and by the outpouring of the Spirit that he enables us to show kindness and goodness to those who are around us. In the original version of Robert Robinson's 18th century hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, there is a fourth verse that, for reasons unknown, is not included in the hymnal version of it. Reading the last verse, which is the third, and then the fourth, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. How his kindness yet pursues me, mortal tongue can never tell. Clothed in flesh, till death shall loose me, I cannot proclaim it well. How true is this, that God and his kindness relentlessly pursues us. He pursues us when we are lost in death and sin. And then when he showers us with his kindness and his goodness and draws us into the household of God, he still continues to pursue us in his kindness and in his goodness by showering us with his mercy and forgiveness, even when we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love, as that hymn goes. God continually loves us, and he gives us his kindness and his goodness. But again, what's so important here is that we don't get the grammar of salvation confused. Because if we get the grammar of our salvation confused, to put it in less technical terms, we'll put the cart before the horse and we'll get things mixed up. So how do we ensure that we keep the grammar of our salvation intact? Or, again, in those more common terms, how do we ensure that we keep the the horse in front of the cart? What Paul says is, he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found that is all and good and righteous and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. When Paul says this, he says that we find the fruit of light in all that is good and right and righteous. And what he means by that is first and foremost, we find all that is true and good in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ through the Spirit is the source of our ability for kindness and goodness. So in other words, remember, Paul here is not saying, be kind and be good in your own strength and power. 
He's not saying muster up as much kindness and goodness as you can find. You know, imagine if, if, if you were to say there's a large bill due and I need to dig in the couch cushions for as much pocket change as I can find because I don't know if I've got enough. Paul is not saying ransack the couch cushions of your life looking for as much spare goodness and kindness as you can find to muster it up. No, he's saying look to Christ who is the infinite source of kindness and goodness to pour it out upon you through the gospel and through the power of the spirit to receive it by faith so that you're not trying to muster up this kindness and goodness yourself, but rather you find it in Christ. And in receiving it from Christ, then you're enabled to dispense it to those around you. And so that's why he's saying, walk as children of the light. For it's in the light of Christ that you can see everything else. Whereas if you walk in the darkness, then you will have no light to dispense to others. Walk in the light as children of the light. Again, to put it in the grammar of theology, we are in the indicative, we find our life in the indicative, a state of affairs, if you will, in the indicative of our union with Christ. In other words, it's who you are in Christ that enables you to be who you're supposed to be in Christ. The indicatives ground the imperatives. Who you are in Christ enables you to fulfill the law of God in a pleasing manner to God. If we reverse those and we put cart before horse, we instead hear nothing but command, be good. Be kind, disconnected from the source of kindness and goodness, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, keep the cart and the horse in the right order. Recognize who you are in Christ. Seek the kindness and goodness of God in Christ first and foremost, who enables you to manifest this kindness and goodness to others. Martin Luther once said, although I am an unworthy and condemned man, my God has given me in Christ all the riches of righteousness and salvation without any merit on my part, out of pure free mercy, so that from now on I need nothing except faith which believes that this is true. Why should I not therefore freely joyfully, with all my heart and with an eager will, do all things which I know are pleasing and acceptable to such a father who has overwhelmed me with inestimable riches. I will therefore give myself as a Christ, or as one shaped in the mold of Christ, to my neighbor, just as Christ offered himself to me. So what Luther's saying is he's saying, it's the grace of God in Christ that enables me to be Christ to my neighbor, to show him or her kindness and goodness. So this is the fount and the source of kindness and goodness. It is Christ who shows us what kindness and goodness is. And which brings us to our second and our final point, which is how can we go about manifesting kindness and goodness to the people in our lives? We can all agree that Christ is our source of kindness and goodness. 
And we can all agree that drawing near to Christ is the way by which we can become further conformed to Christ's image to be manifest, or sorry, to therefore manifest kindness and goodness. But what I want to do is give us some, if you will, some practical, uh, some practical instruction so that we know exactly where and how to find kindness and goodness. And so the first place that we can look as seemingly contradictory as it may at first strike us is we can look for kindness and goodness in the world. Kindness and goodness in the world. What does, what does Paul say? I think what Paul tells us is that we can look into the world and learn from the manifestations of kindness and goodness that we see out there, even in spite of its fallenness. Again, what does Paul say? Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. In all. Paul doesn't say that we're going to find this strictly in the church. You know, the way that we can think about this is, remember, whatever manifestation of goodness or kindness we find in the world, if God is the source of it all, then that means that it comes ultimately from God wherever we find it. It was John Calvin, for example, when he was commenting on the cursed line of Cain in Genesis chapter 4. He said, let us know that the sons of Cain, though deprived of the spirit of regeneration, were yet endued with gifts of no despicable kind. He said, you could look at the line of Cain, and though they weren't saved, in other words, they had no kindness and goodness to somehow contribute to their salvation, nevertheless, they had gifts of no despicable kind. They created music. They created um, metallurgy. They built cities. In other words, even in our fallen estate, God does not allow us to become so utterly depraved and fallen that there is zero goodness or kindness within us. This kindness and goodness of whatever we find is of no value for salvation. Keep that in mind. It's of no value for salvation. But for us as Christians, as we look out upon the world, as we have the corrective lenses of Scripture affixed to our face to enable us to see the world aright, wherever we see kindness and goodness, we should ask ourselves, am I at least being as kind and as good as that unbeliever? Should I not be even kinder and, dare I say, gooder than the unbeliever? If I have the Spirit of God living within me, shouldn't I show more kindness and goodness than they? Again, in similar lines, what Paul says, for example, in Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
We can see kindness and goodness in the world from that vantage point. When we see, for example, a complete and total stranger rushing to the assistance of somebody who's been in a terrible car accident and they're willing to risk life and limb to save that person and to pull them out of the wreck. Or when you see a simple gesture of kindness that a complete stranger will give to another. Think, for example, of a soldier who is willing to lay down his life for his fellow soldier. I once read a book about recipients of the Medal of Honor and the most common reason for giving somebody a Medal of Honor, I think if memory serves me correctly, some 25 instances of this occurring over a number of wars is when one soldier will leap upon a grenade and cover it up to protect his fellow soldiers. That is an act of kindness or goodness, an act of sacrifice. And we can see this in the world. And sometimes, sadly, granted, we can say it is a manifestation of natural goodness, natural kindness, not a fruit of the Spirit. But sometimes we can see these examples of kindness and goodness in the world that exceed the kindness and the goodness that we see in the church. But in one particular example that struck me as profoundly powerful uh, is one that occurred on October 2nd in 2006, and it was, it's called the West Nickel Mines Shooting. I don't know if you've ever heard of that instance. A gunman went into a school in an Amish community, and he shot eight girls. Five of them died before he turned the gun on himself. If there would ever be a time where you would think that rage, anger, vehemence, visceral reactions would be called for, it would certainly be on the heels of such a tragedy and such a wicked and evil act. And yet, on the day of the shooting, the day of the shooting, the grandfather of one of the murdered girls told the community not to hate the gunman. He said, quote, he had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. Members of that community immediately reached out to the gunman's family, the gunman's family, and they offered their forgiveness to them. How often do we say, I'm willing to forgive, but they have to come to me and ask for it. And yet, like Jesus hanging upon the cross, who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When the people at the foot of the cross were not asking for forgiveness. Here, the victims, those most tragically impacted by this terrible, terrible act, immediately offered forgiveness to the gunman's family. One of the victim's fathers held the father of the gunman for over an hour 
to comfort him. Because the father had lost his son. And what to me is a manifestation of kindness and goodness is that 30 members of that community attended the gunman's funeral. If there's a funeral that I would think under those circumstances, it would be one that I would gladly absent myself from. It would be the gunman's funeral. And yet 30 people from that community attended the gunman's funeral. I don't know. I don't know the state of their souls, believer or not. But I can see that kindness and goodness. And it's a kindness and goodness of a profound depth that appears out in the world. And I would say that it's a kindness and goodness that ultimately, whether generally or in terms of salvation, comes from God himself. And so when Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worthy, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Those should be the types of things that we think upon and say, if that is kindness and goodness that exists in the world, surely by the power of the Spirit of God, I should seek to manifest that same type of kindness and goodness, if not more. But beyond looking to the world, I think we should, of course, look to the law of God. We should look to the law of God. To know the nature of goodness, we have to reflect, meditate, and pray informed by the law of God. Romans seven twelve. so the law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And so if the law is good, then the more we reflect upon the law, the more the law is going to shape and it's going to mold us to be more like Christ according to the power of the Spirit. What does the psalmist say? Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I was recently speaking at a conference where somebody asked the question, how do we become more like Christ? And I said, one of the most reassuring passages in all of the Bible, when it speaks about sanctification in an indirect way, is when Moses went to the top of Sinai. And simply by being in the presence of God, when he came down, he was aglow with the glory of God. So much so that he had to cover his face because the Israelites were terrified by his presence. You know, I I suspect it looked like he had been hanging out in a nuclear reactor and was aglow with radiation, but it wasn't radiation. It was the glory of God. And how did he receive it? Was he trying to scoop it up by the handful? Was he trying to, to spread it upon his face? No, he was simply in the presence of a holy God. Well, beloved in Christ, when we spend time in the presence of God, in prayer, meditating upon his word, reading his word, placing his word deep within the recesses of our hearts, writing it upon the walls of our hearts and upon our minds, we will take on the characteristics of our holy God. We will become aglow with his glory simply by being in his presence. And it's by being in his presence by, through the means of grace that he makes us more like Christ. 
One of the conference speakers made this observation, and it was both insightful but at the same time frightening. Uh, On the one hand, he said, why is it that dog owners end up looking like their dogs? Is it because they take on the characteristics of their dogs, or is it because they end up choosing dogs that look like them because they like them? I think, I don't know what that says about me. I like Rottweilers, and they're not very, you know, aesthetically pleasing dogs. But he said a more, a more, tasteful, a more tasteful illustration on this line, as he says he's noticed how husbands and wives end up looking alike, thinking alike, to the point where they can even finish one another's thoughts and sentences after a while. You know, it's like I tell my wife this. I say, I know you like the back of my hand most days. Sometimes she she outruns me and I I don't know what she's going to say or think. But the longer you spend time together, the more you become like one another. And sometimes maybe even looking like one another. The more time we spend with Christ, the more we look like him. The more time we spend talking to Christ more we think like him, the more time that we spend with Christ, the more that we will be like him. It's not a natural phenomenon, but rather like Moses standing in the presence of a holy God. It's by the grace of God in Christ through the spirit that he molds us and shapes us. And one of the chief ways that we do this is by meditating upon the law of God, which is a reflection of his holy character. It discloses to us what is pleasing to him. It discloses to us what God expects of us. It shows us uh, what its demands are and how God has graciously dealt with us uh, in terms of the demands of the law and therefore how we should graciously, in kindness and in goodness, deal with others around us. If you want a good exercise in studying and meditating upon the law of God, read and reflect upon the the shorter and larger catechism. Look at the Heidelberg Catechism and what it has to say about the nature of God's law. Beloved, in an ever-increasingly unkind and cruel world, we should desire to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, and in this case, kindness and goodness, showing kindness and goodness to those around us. When we recognize that we've been the recipients of God's undeserved kindness and goodness in Christ, it's then and there that I think we have an excellent foundation to be able to show others kindness and goodness. And with the corrective lenses of Scripture affixed to our eyes, we can learn from the kindness and the goodness that we see in the world, but especially by meditating upon God's law, that we can know what it is and that we can seek to show it to everyone that we come into contact with. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks that you have shown us your kindness and goodness in Christ, that you give unto us acts of love, acts of mercy, bountiful blessings that we do not deserve. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would, through Christ, by the Spirit, with the instrument of the law, that you would show us true kindness and goodness, what it is, that you would enable us by your grace to seek and to find it solely in Christ, so that as we live the Christian life, O Lord, we would be kind and good to those around us. 
that we would not be marked by the works of the flesh, by divisions, dissensions, disrespect, rivalries, and things like these. But rather, even in the face of sin, Lord, even when we have been wronged, that we would show others kindness and goodness because you have shown us kindness and goodness when we have wronged you. Have mercy upon us in Christ, O Lord, that we might bring glory to your name and that we would shine forth the kindness and goodness of Christ to those around us. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.